To lead or not to lead? That is the question. What are we to do with Jesus's words? Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Furthermore, how can Christ be the head of the church? And yet men are chosen to lead the church. In this climate where everybody wants to be equal, where is the place of church leadership? Join us as we take this time to stop and think about it. Hello? Hello, anybody home? I think, McFly, think. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What were you thinking? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Don't say anything now. Just think about it. You're listening to Stop and Think About It. A podcast for the Christian thinker. In a day when sound biblical preaching has been replaced by man-centered entertainment and the church has become increasingly anti-intellectual, this podcast will encourage believers to think biblically and theologically. So please join me as we get ready to stop and think about it. Greetings, friends and foes, saints and sinners. Welcome to another episode of the Stop and Think About It podcast. Today, yours truly, Phil, the Bronx Expositor, and our West Indian wordsmith, Glenroy, will share how we came to faith in Christ, how we came to reform theology, along with tackling an often misunderstood and at times abused aspect of the church, namely leadership. How are we doing today, Glenroy? I am blessed. How are you, sir? Uh, better than you deserve and better than I deserve? Uh, everyone's better than I deserve right now. <laughs> and you just moved, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I uh, increased some of this internet speed as well, so we can, stop, we can get this done even faster. And just grateful that God uh, provides a way for everything that we need, you know. But I can live in a, a, a cardboard box and still praise Him, right? Amen. I'm just glad you have more room for your theology books now. <laughs> I found some I didn't even know I had. See that? Now you just got to start using them. <laughs> you mean so, as a coaster? Or what, what, what do you mean? No, not as a coaster. <laughs> that you co-sign on. Oh, amen, amen, amen. Godly men. I, I would encourage everyone to to read, especially history. Oh, it, I mean, you're going to kind of bring you to perspectives. A lot of the things we've talked about, you know, if we read the history, we're going to realize this is not new stuff. This is not new challenges. And, and it kind of puts it in perspective that, you know, we always think this generation is, you know, the generation when everything went off the, the, the rails. It's, it's been off the rails from creation um, since, uh, since the, the fall. Yeah, well, there you go. So we just did our series um, about Reformed theology. What is Reformed theology? And we spent uh, four episodes unpacking that and, uh, I really enjoyed listening to it, I have to say. <laughs> uh, we should have did 14. It yeah. was a lot of stuff, and we crammed it in there, you know? Th that, was, that wasn't easy. <laughs> and, and I think Anthony did a great job. Uh, it, was, it was a pleasure um, to have him on, you know? It, it was a blessing to have Anthony. Absolutely. I'm supposed to see him next week. Um, I, I felt, I, sorry to cut you, but I, I felt like I was uh, being attacked. I had like double, double fills on me, you know? <laughs> Yeah, the work on the hand of one of us. <laughs> um, so as we went through Reformed Theology, I thought it might be good, even though we're jumping into something new, to have a little transition here. Um, how did you actually come to Christ? 
Ah, are we going to do that? Uh, we go in there, yeah. Like so, Mon- so 10 to 15 minutes, huh? Right? Absolutely. No. On no, the no. shores of Montego Bay, you had a dream and a vision. <laughs> no? No, no. We'll keep it a little shorter than that. Um, usually when I do tell a testimony, I start from birth and I work my way up. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it's a similar story to everyone else or anyone else who has been saved um, with some wrinkles in there, obviously. But, you know, I've always thought that I was good, right, from a moral standpoint. Um, I worked, I did my best to be as good as I thought from a moral standpoint, from a societal standpoint. And, yeah, and I, you know, I could say from, from, from a young age to 20, on the outward side where everyone could see, I was. You know, I didn't do drugs. I wasn't getting arrested. I didn't party. I listened to my, my parents. I kind of did what she told me to do. And, you know, I, I felt like, hey, this this view of life as a karmic thing where I was doing good, good would, would happen to me. I would always be protected as long as I, you know, wasn't an evil person. Um, as I got a little older, I said, I started saying, hey, you know, I, I really lived a pretty good life. I want to have some fun. I'm going to start going parties. I'm going to start being promiscuous. I'm going to start really living the life that I see everyone else is doing because I was a pretty studious kid and, you know, studying and getting really good grades. And I said, hey, I deserve to kind of kick loose. You know, I'm going to live that life. And for about two two to three years, well, maybe more than by four years, four to five years, I kind of lived a riotous life, you know, and um, I was still pretty um, uh, mild compared to the people around me who was running or who were running amok. But I, I felt dissatisfied. I felt like, you know, when I was being so-called good, that I was being cheated from the fun in life. And then you know, I had an incident where I was throwing a party and it kind of didn't go out the way I planned. I lost a lot of money. Some of the people I thought were my friends kind of contributed to me losing the money. And I was very depressed. And I kind of felt this this sadness in my heart where I felt like, hey, God, I for 20 plus years, I, I lived a pretty good life. I was everything. Now I'm trying to have fun and I'm still healthy. I'm still unhappy. And I, and I just broke down and I said, God, I want you to be in control of my life. I I've made a mess of this. I have ruined it and ran it amok from one side to the other. You being controlled. I just surrendered it. I said, give it up. I didn't really, I knew about the Bible and I knew different things and different people had tried to speak to me, but I didn't understand the gospel fully at that point. But I knew that whatever I was doing was wrong and God would, I, I had to just give it to him. And I started reading the Bible and, and I, I was crying out to him. And I didn't have a church, so to say. And so I started reaching out to people who had reached out to me. And I kind of got involved um, that way. Um, but that's pretty much the salvation. I mean, I literally remember staying in the house for about two weeks. I wasn't working. And I was just reading the Bible and crying and, and seeing the picture of the Old Testament, seeing Christ's sacrifice, and just realizing that I had been prideful and evil and dark and Ma- and, and had a lot of malice in my heart and I was not good and I did not deserve anything good. And I just said, God, if anything good is going to come to me, you would have to be in charge. Well, amen. Well, I'm glad you're still dark and I'm glad, but I'm glad your heart is not dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't lighten it up any more than this. He, I think he changed, he changed the inside. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um, but what maybe, let me ask you this. What was like the one major thing that convinced you I'm a sinner. I need a savior. No, I, 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 I think it was, like I said, the incident kind of 
that that caused it was that recognition of the sinfulness of the world around me the party the party the 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 fact the friends that kind of threw me over the board the money that i lost and i just sat down and i literally reading the bible and it wasn't one thing it was i'm reading the bible and i'm seeing this picture of what god really requires of what god of what the way the world really should be and I see it's not represented in it. And I and I had always thought that I was the one good thing in the world. And I was disabused of that fact. And all I knew was I didn't understand sin. I didn't understand the gospel. I just knew that I needed God desperately. Like I was drowning. And it was afterwards, as I was reading, I think one verse that kind of really stood out to me to answer your question succinctly is, the having the 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 speck in your eyes and then you see the boulder in your brother's eyes that verse kind of hit me because i was saying hey i'm very critical of everyone around me and i'm and i'm very concerned about the speck but i'm the one who has the issues and i think that used to get me and the also the verse that said um i i desire mercy and not sacrifice burnt offering you know you know the verse i can't think of right now (laughs) <laughs> but basically that sounded like Joe Biden. Joe Biden. Oh, you knew that verse. <laughs> you know from that book, you know that yeah. guy. Yeah. The psalmist. The palmist. The palmist. Um, but basically, yeah, just that just this idea that 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 it wasn't the work that I was doing that was earning me favor, but right. it was God reliance on God Himself. My whole life was I'm going to do all these things, God's gonna see it, and I'm gonna get a reward. And I was disabused of that fact as it I read the Bible. It almost sounds like uh the prodigal story where, you know, he was out there assuming he was partying, mm-hmm. so to speak, um, because I don't I don't know if we have direct. Uh, I guess we have to infer that. But he was definitely out there. He lost everything. Mm-hmm. And then there he is, you know, with his face about to eat the carapods, which the human uh, digestive system couldn't uh, consume. Mm-hmm. Um, and he realized, man, I, this is, this is not where I need to be right now. I've seen right. And so it sounds, it sounds somewhat similar, uh, to where you were at. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I made a, I, I made a mess of my life trying to do my own thing and, uh, look where it got me. Yeah. Now, how did you come to reform theology, which if anybody, any of our listeners, uh, don't know what that is you can go back and listen to our whole series on what is reformed theology Mm. to get the answer to that don't Mm. tune us off um because some people hear reformed theology and they think oh it's like demonic no we we just think it's another way of saying biblical theology but i digress yeah so basically you know like i said i wasn't in a specific church i went to a friend's uh, seven day adventist church and i was very confused with the constant reference to sabbath and i just it just turned me off um but i had someone that you know the independent fundamentalist baptist and i really liked them i like that they you know, compared to all you know the charismatic the the different churches that seem to not even look at the bible at all they just kind of said these phrases they actually were studying they were reading they were preaching from the bible somewhat expositionally and i you know i, I kind of found a home there and but I was never comfortable. I kept going from church to church to church. The so people laugh because for like a year plus, I went to like 30 different churches. I would go for two or three services. And I just, and, and I, w- I also felt convicted because I said, hey, maybe it's me and I'm just not submitting myself to the authority of the pastors that I was under. Um, but eventually I went to this church right before I came to Grace and 
very similar in makeup, very similar in in in, in the, the people. Pastor was a very nice man. So I'm I'm listening to sermon audio, and I ran across a a preacher who was just adamant that God is the one that does all the work. Adamant that God chooses those who goes. Adamant that you know you know he, the the sovereignty of God. And I and I was mesmerized. And I listened to about twenty thirty sermons. And I was mesmerized by it. And I went to the pastor that I was there, pretty nice, humble man, very, very thing, prayer. And he just kind of flipped on me when I started talking about Romans uh, 9, 28, 29. Yeah. And he's like, I just don't, I, I just don't believe that God would, would, would ever force you. And I was like, no, but I mean, you know, let's go to the, ver-. and he wouldn't even talk to me about it. And, you know, that's when I went to Grace Baptist, a little, like right after I searched and I found Grace Baptist, because I was looking for a reformed church. And I was completely at home. I mean, the very first service I got there, I was like, this is my home. This is where I need to be. This is where I need to be submitted. But but primarily I was I was struck. I think if I wasn't saved before, I was saved at that point because I, I knew that God was sovereign. I knew that I brought nothing to the table beyond my sin. And before then, I was kind of like, hey, isn't it great how I recognize the position and then kind of switched over to Christianity? Now it was like God dragged me kicking and screaming. And that situation that happened to me shouldn't have took it that long. Shouldn't have taken that long. Should have happened years before, but I wasn't ready then. God hadn't changed my heart until that point. And so it it, it kind of opened my eyes. Um, and that was the moment, I think. Hmm. Gotcha. So, um, Salvation wise, um, I think that I was around 13 years old, mm-hmm. had grown up in Roman Catholicism, thought if I was a good person, I'd go to heaven, uh, along with what every other person thinks from every other religion in the world. Not like this was a new, uh, you know, I hadn't seen the light. Um, and my brother invited my older brother invited me to a church. I went, and for the first time, I heard. If all you had to be was a good person to go to heaven, Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross for your sin. And it's like the light bulb went on mm. uh, for the first time. No tears, um, you know, no deep emotion, but yet conviction uh, definitely came. And, you know, the whole altar call thing took place and the repeat after me, the sinner's prayer, all of that. And But I know God saved me not because of the altar call, but in spite of it, not because of the sinner's prayer, but in spite of it. Um, obviously I believe he regenerated me while I was in my seat before I took one step forward. Mm. Uh, you know, he had changed me. Um, and of course, you know, I did, uh, confess my sin and, and turn to Christ for the first time. Um, but was not really discipled for quite some time. And I don't think it was until I was around 16 that I started, you know, reading the scriptures. Uh, and then once I opened it, I just had an insatiable desire uh, to be in God's word. Um, and then went on to bring it to high school and start up a Bible club, which got kicked out and hated a lawyer to get it back in and went off to Bible college. In Bible college, I was very frustrated that Christians were getting saved and unsaved, saved again and unsaved again, like a yo-yo. My theology professor didn't have an answer for me, at least not one that was satisfactory to the soul. Uh, I started listening to Ray Comfort uh, from Living Waters and Hell's Best best Kept Secret, and True and False Conversions, and that began to make sense to me. 
that uh, people weren't getting saved and unsaved. They weren't getting saved in the first place mm-hmm. uh, if they were getting unsaved, um, that they were just false converts. And so, you know, um, just more and more, I started listening to uh, reformed guys. The guy that discipled me, introduced me to Ray Comfort, introduced me to John MacArthur and Greg Bonson. Uh, so Bonson and MacArthur would be both reform guys. And then for quite some time, um, I was uh, credentialed with uh, Assemblies of God. And more and more as I was reading and listening to reform guys, I just couldn't shake it anymore. Um, and so eventually I knew I needed to be in a reformed church because I could not uh, refute, I could not shake uh, that God had chosen us and that he, that Christ did only die for the elect. I mean, these, you know, it's like the, the blinders just came off of my eyes. Although, uh, when I was a little younger, uh, my brother did try to get someone to kind of like, uh, jam it down with, the, with the spoon <laughs> yeah. and it didn't work too well, uh, for me and with me. So the, the Lord had opened my eyes and, and eventually he did. And um, I, I couldn't stay in a Pentecostal church, let alone an Armenian church anymore. My stomach was doing flips. So, uh, so praise the Lord. Um, so, yeah. and, 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 you know, I used to think I didn't have a powerful testimony, you know, because a lot of testimonies go like this, right? Yeah. You know, I was out there dealing drugs on, on, you know, on, on all the continents and, you know, shooting up the place. And that's powerful. I, 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 you know, I stole cars and everything like this. And then at the age of five, I came to know Jesus. (laughs) I mean, does does toy toy cars count? (laughs) I mean, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) No, just, just to piggyback on what you're saying. I, I, as you said, let's talk. I remember it. I did cry. I was like literally in my house by myself reading the scriptures in tears. Just yeah. crying and weeping. But, you know, it's not manly to say that. But I, I was crying and weeping. If you're going to cry about anything, you should cry about your sins. You know? Well, there, there you go. And since you're Jamaican, your tears went down faster than mine did, I would presume. <laughs> Definitely dried up faster. <laughs> so now, um, so God has saved you. Um, and you've come to Reform Theology. And then this thing happens. You become a deacon. At, Great De- at Grace Baptist Church, they didn't tell me uh, what the salary was going to be first. <laughs> I think I think the salary is double from what you started now, right? I think it's by five or six times now. Okay, from one zero to six zeros. Nice. That's right. That's right. That's right. There's no numbers in front of it, though. There you go. Um, how did that happen? How did you become a deacon in the church? Well, like I said, when when I first went to Grace Baptist, I just felt like I was home. I, I mean, within the, by the, the next Sunday, I'm telling people how great the church is. I'm telling them where stuff is. And they're like, how long have you been here? Oh, it's been about two weeks. They looked at me like I was crazy, but I, I felt like I was home. I felt like I, I was in a place where I can true. And I met a man, Pastor Peter. You know him very well. Uh, love you both. But at that time in my life, he, he really was someone I could submit myself to. I knew that putting myself in his hands, I was in good care. Like he would be concerned about my soul more than I was at that point. And it, I just felt like, hey, I'm in the place I'm supposed to be. I'm under the leadership that I should be. I need to serve. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't thinking about it as an office. I wasn't thinking, I didn't know. What I, I wasn't even thinking about deaconship. I was just, look, they needed to sweep. I'm going to sweep. If they needed, the the sound was a, was, a, was a mess at the time and it was inconsistent. And I said, look, I'll take over that. 
I, well, I'll get this. I'll get the speakers, and I'm and I'm a pretty handy person. So I just got involved in. I don't know anything about music. I just got involved in the sound. I knew electronics, and I was participating. People wanted a ride. I was there. They were having a barbecue in the middle of Antarctica. I was there, and I just was so enmeshed in the culture of the church, and I was so available. I was so there that after several years, people were like, "Hey, we got to pick a deacon." Glenn's already doing it. He's already involved. He's excited to do it. He doesn't need you know, someone to tell him to do something. He sees a, a, a place with dirt, he starts sweeping. And it was, and, and being a deacon is a special thing in the sense that people just reckon, you shouldn't be chosen and then you start acting like a deacon. You should already sure. have this heart. And to me, even to this day, I don't think of it anything, as anything special, not to belittle the position that people have placed on me, but I just feel like, hey, I'm supposed to be doing this. What else should I be doing but serving the church in any capacity that I can? So it wasn't that they nailed the deacon plaque on your door and put you behind the big desk with the corner office. And then all of a sudden deacon powers came upon you and you started to serve. No, no. Like I said, I'm, I'm still trying to work on it and tripling and quadrupling their salary and it's stay the same salary, you know, there you go. Cause I, I actually, I don't think you have a deacon door. <laughs> I, I don't have a desk. I have well, actually, none of us have offices in the church in that in, as far as physical offices. Look, all I have is a joy knowing that, you know, we have a roof over our heads. We have faithful people attending. We have new faithful people joining. And, you know, for, for all they know, it's a smooth process. And, and that makes me go to bed with a smile on my face, you know? So I, I would say that, uh, uh, there's a deacon's heart that just naturally comes out and then it's just recognized. Um, not, not the reverse order. Um, it, it, some people want a title before they do, but I, I would say that you do. And then that's recognized by others title or no title. You're, you're not looking for the title. You're just looking to serve. If, if it feels special, different, like, You've been anointed with some m magic or special anointing, then there's something wrong. If you feel, if it feels natural, if it feels like you're just doing what God, what, no, what's required of you, right? And there is a joy in the process, then I think you're on the right path. Because I have never, ever said, eh, it's deacon job. It's never been, oh, I got to do it. It's just been like, hey, what, what, what else am I going to do? Hey, I'm so thankful. I'm so happy that I'm able to do it. I'm so grateful that I can ask people to serve and to do these things. And I'm able to be a part of these meetings. And I think that's what's made this such a, I don't even know how long, like I haven't, I don't keep track of how long I've been doing it. I don't think about what I'm doing. Because it's what God is, that's what's required of me. And I'm happy to do it. Now, I wanted to ask you because, you know, you're, you, you, you know, like, how are you chosen? How did you become an elder? I know your process was a little thing because when I met you, you were already a pastor, um, but then had to be translated into our church in that position. Like, how did that happen for you? Um, so I did serve as a pastor in other churches and just to, peel back a little bit in Bible college. A lot of us just wanted that title. Um, I probably would say that, that that was my heart in Bible college and then kind of serving in several assembly of God churches. Um, as I'm looking back, I don't, I did not understand the weightiness of uh, pastoral um, uh, leadership. Uh, mm. I, I didn't, I mean, I knew that the pastor preaches they're supposed to serve, but the weightiness of shepherding 
it, it, it wasn't there. And so I came to Pastor Peter at the church, just, just wanting to serve. Uh, I didn't ask him um, to become a pastor. I just told him I can serve. Uh, I can preach. I can teach. If you so have those needs, not that I even had to do that, but just if you needed someone, um, you know, I'm, I'm here to serve and I'm here to help. And I saw that there was sort of lack of leadership in, in that area, not lack in pastor Peter, because he was kind of shouldering it alone and yes. it's a, it's a heavy weight. Um, and I didn't want to see him have to shoulder that alone. There were other churches that had seven and eight elders. Um, and then here he's just going at it himself. And I just began to have a heart, uh, for pastor Peter personally to help him with the weightiness of the ministry and just love the people, the church. Yeah, and and I just want to piggyback on that, um, Pastor. One of the reasons why I fell so hard into it was I saw him working. He was doing all the sermons, all the Bible studies. He was coming and opening up a church. He was cleaning. He was doing all the evangelism. He was doing all of it by himself. And I was like, let someone else. I had to fight him in the beginning to say, let not not because he wasn't power hungry. It was just like, he just he just wanted to do it. He wanted, and I said, "Look, you have to let me help you." And he let me help him, and I and and I was so happy to be removing some, some minor burdens. It wasn't anything crazy, but just this one small thing he didn't have to worry about or he didn't have to deal with. And I said, "Put it on me." And he started releasing it, and we got other people to come. And um, just to continue this memory lane, I remember the first time I met you it was like on the stage of Grace Baptist. And I didn't know anything about you being a pastor or anything. All I knew were was you were excited. You were so passionate about the Reformed um, theology. You approached me. You talked to me. We just hit it off real quick. And all I knew was I didn't know if you're a good person, bad person, different, but you loved God. <laughs> you know, and you were ex you were had this energy for God. And I think that is one of the, the we're going to talk about some of the qualifications later. But that's it. You you got you have to want to do it. You have to want to do it. You have to really be involved. It's not going to be, it's, it's not as, um, um, we see the suits and the dress up and we see them in the positions of power, but there's a lot of nitty gritty things that we have to go through that it's not comfortable. It's not fun. And if you don't enjoy it, if you don't feel like God has called you to do it, I, I would just advise you this. If you don't remember anything we talk about, do not do this unless you feel called to do this because you're not going to help people in the way that you should. It's going to be a burden and a chore and you're going to stray a lot of people away from the faith. Right. And that is our, our ultimate goal at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And so my mindset went from, you know, I want a position to be called pastor, you know, earlier in, you know, in the early days in ministry, to okay i want to preach and help and serve to i just want to serve and help and Amen. so it, it almost seemed like when you're not you know when i wasn't seeking position then that's when it was bestowed or recognized i should say and now there's the reality of the weightiness of the office of a pastor that I did not feel in the past.
because that was not, that wasn't taught. It wasn't emphasized. It was that the pastor is the man. He's like, you know, he's like the king of the church. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that, that's not biblical. That, that's not the heart of Christ. And if that's not his heart, you know, it says the, the Lord is my shepherd. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, he's the king, but he wants, you know, his leaders to have a shepherd's heart. Now, I think it's very interesting you talk about that he's not a king. That That is kind of the impression, like, especially in, uh, how do I say this comfortably? Especially from the churches that I grew up in, the neighborhoods that I grew up in. Gotcha. Um, and uh, being of the uh, black persuasion, a lot, that's, that's the churches I knew about. I mean, I, I don't want to make it a racial issue, but the, from the churches that I knew, the background I knew, there was usually one pastor and one, uh, I guess, co-pastor or uh, first lady, and their, their, their rule was law. And we, we looked at the pastor to tell us what to do. And if he said quack like a chicken, it was kind of like, okay, there must be a good reason why we would do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was this sense of a kingship or, um, you know, it was their domain. And you either left the church if you didn't like it or you stayed and you had to do what they wanted to do. And it's such a backwards view of it. And I'm sure it's in other places as well. But that's, I can only speak about the experiences that I had. Yeah. And I guess that leads to the question is like, well, like, like if they're not a king, if it's not supposed to be a dictatorship, well, what is leadership supposed to look like in a church? Yeah. I think, you know, a, a good illustration, I think, would be um, remember King David? He was kind of running from Saul mm-hmm. and he goes and hides in this cave, and everybody comes and says, You're our leader. We want to follow you. And he he wasn't looking for followers, Mm. but clearly God had chosen him to lead. And one of the things, you know, especially in this day and age, I know that when people were talking about, oh, you know, the president, the president, and how even, unfortunately, a lot of uh, believers were looking and saying, oh, this one, this guy is more compassionate than this guy. Uh, That that wasn't necessarily a leadership quality. Uh, the biggest thing for a leader is they must have followers, not necessarily have compassion. Mm-hmm. Of course, we want pastors to have compassion, but just in general, a leadership quality, uh, what the definition of a leader is, is a leader is one who has followers. Because if you are trying to lead and no one is following, as it has been said, you're taking a walk by yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So... um if no one is following you, you're not leading. Mm-hmm. You're not leading anything. Um, you're just a you're a leader by definition alone, and so uh, that doesn't work. Um, but of course, we want character qualities, and those character qualities are laid out for us in Scripture. They're not mm-hmm. laid out in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If you want to be a business leader, then you know that's fine. But if you want to lead in the church, then we need to look <laughs> in the scriptures uh, for those characteristics. Now, now the truth is, right, the, the, the church has a different definition, qualifications from one leader from the rest of the world. I think, you know, I know we're going to talk. I know we're going to talk about it. The what is required of a leader in the church. I think it should be just cool to just kind of contrast like what. How does that differ from the world? I mean, um, I guess one thing that always comes to my mind, especially as a deacon, is to be a servant leader, yes. um, which 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 doesn't. It sounds like an oxymoron, right? It sounds like it doesn't go together. Mm-hmm. But 
there's no other way to think about it in the church, right? We, 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 you know, you started off this introduction by talking about, you know, how, how we should be striving not to be the greatest, but the least, right? Right. That, that they're the ones who get favor with God. So we, by definition, um, leading should be the, op- should be the opposite. So I want to give it, a, we talked about Pastor Peter yeah. and cause I don't want to talk about you. I'll talk about Pastor Peter uh, and sure. his leadership um, that the same reason why I was, like pulled into becoming helping in the church was because he was willing to do it all. Yeah. And not just the flashy stuff. He was willing to do the sweeping and he was willing to come early and open up and he was willing to stay late and lock up and he was doing, willing to go pick people up. And, and I said, if he, if the leader of the church is willing to do these things, why can't I do these things? Right. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I mean, he, he's been such a great example to me and continues to be so. I needed an example like him because I've, I had a lot of bad examples. And, you know, I thank God for those bad examples. Not mm. that everything that they did was bad, but I learned a lot of what not to do. But when I work at Pastor Peter, I learned of what to, a lot of what to do. And even the other day, I went out to evangelize um, Monday night, 530, and we got there, had my kids with me. And wouldn't you know it at the, at the moment, he was the only one there, but mm-hmm. he still was just doing it. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, there was nothing in his persona that was saying, Oh, I'm going home. Cause you know, there's nobody else in, here in the church that joined me. And mm-hmm. where are the people? And I mean, there was none of that. Mm-hmm. It was like, Hey, all right. I thought it was going to be me, but you know, now it's us. <laughs> and he was just, he was grateful. Even if it, if, it, if it was just him, because he's there to serve an audience of one, he's there to serve Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, Christ is going to lead him to speak to the people he's supposed to speak to. And if, you know, if Jesus brings more of the saints around, then then so be it. Yeah. Pastor Peter told me that in the beginning when he used to do the Bible study, sometimes it was just him and his wife. They would right. come and do the lesson. No one was there. And not, it's not now where you have recordings and it's on YouTube, but he's, he came and he said, hey, no one's here. We're going to still do this. You know, maybe one or two people were there and, you know, it just takes a special God has to put something special in that person for you to, to do that. Um, but let's contrast it with the world, right? So yes, you're the leader, the leader and you are the top dog and it, there is a kingship, right? You know, there is a set, like I've had situations where I have leadership positions in the, the company that I'm in. Right. And when I first got those positions, even as a Christian, I, it, mm-hmm. get, it goes to your head. And I would be so upset when people wouldn't just do what I, I'd be like, I'm X, Y, Z, do what I'm telling you to do. Right. You know, and that, and, and, you know, this is the military. I'm the, 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 the brigadier general and you are supposed to, you're a private and you need to do what I need to do. And that's the mindset. And it took a while of being around a pastor, Peter, around a pastor, Phil, seeing the godly man in the church for me to go and say, Hey, can't do that inside the church or outside the church. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think outside the church. So in other words, so I'm thinking of this last election, right? And so there was, you know, a, a different views, obviously, on, on let's say Biden, uh, on Biden and Trump, because they were the two people running. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Trump was more of a bem- bombastic personality, uh, very strong, uh, you know, type A personality, if you will. Um, and then there was Biden, you know, he was more uh, kind of in the background of things. Um and, uh, you know, he, he wasn't like, um, didn't exude a, a take charge persona, but a lot of even believers 
that went for him said, you know, uh, you know, we like his compassion. Um, he seems more human and, and, and those kind of things. But listen, when you're voting for a president, you want somebody that could lead. Um, compassion is not necessarily, uh, what a commander in chief needs. He needs to protect the country. And so we need to look at Romans 13 and see their, um, what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be able to wield the sword and protect the country and defend the country from the, you know, attacks. But, you know, all the savviness and the slick talking and uh, all of the, many of the qualities per se that uh, somebody might look for in a leader in a non uh, church capacity doesn't necessarily uh, delve over into the church. Um, of course, there is the similarity of they have to have followers, but uh, a pastor doesn't need to be a slick talker. Uh, he needs to be a truth teller, period. Um, he doesn't need to boast himself up and says, you know, I'm going to win and I'm going to win big. Um, you know, he's his focus is I'm going to serve and I'm going to serve big. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there is this definite uh, contrast uh, between the, the, the two spheres and obviously God created both institutions, the church, as well as the government um, and all other leadership capacities. But I understand what you're saying, because in my spheres as well, you know, I've I've led in a lot of my jobs, have a leadership capacity. And of course, God gives leadership giftings, but uh, th- there's definitely a difference of utilizing them in the local church. Although I completely like what you said. Uh, the heart that you have to serve in the church, that same heart you want to serve people in the way you lead, even outside the church, that they may see the Christ in you. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with that. Now, another thing is selflessness, humility, meekness, like, you know, kind of goes hand in hand. I don't know if you want to spend a lot of time on that, but there is a sense of, especially as a pastor, that you you, you don't know the payoff. There's There's no immediate like benefit to you you know it's 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 you're doing the right thing because it's the right thing you are doing what god says because that's what god says we should do that you are concerned about the people around you more than yourself in 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 most situations where in the world you are supposed to be selfish these people are supposed to be getting on your bandwagon to achieve your dream. And maybe they'll get some benefit out of that. But the point is your dream has to be fulfilled. You are encouraged to be proud and to be bombastic and to be narcissistic. And we could talk about the same thing about the presidential election where, you know, in a sense, you know, anyone who runs for president has to have that little narcissism and to think that they're more important. And, some of the things that turned people off to Trump was that he just seemed to be brash and didn't seem to have that humility, even though he did in certain situations. But it's this idea that, you know, the world does seem to um, prize, you know, the, these people because and they follow those people because they want to be on the bandwagon, while the opposite is. The pastor has to be the most humble. He has to be the most selfless, the most meek, because that's the example Christ has given us. Sure. I mean, these would be some of uh, the Beatitudes here, mm-hmm. the uh, the humility, the meekness, um, the servanthood, uh, the poor in spirit. And so that the pastor would exemplify that. And 
Um, I mean, sometimes I feel like my heart does not exemplify that. And I've, you know, had to ask forgiveness, you know, from other people and things like that. Even had to ask for forgiveness from my wife, for my children, um, maybe even students that, as I teach uh, in school, if I felt I was too harsh toward them or um, just something about uh, our interaction. If, if I felt culpable in any way, I would bring them in the office, talk with them. And I would, I would ask for their forgiveness, not just say my bad, I'm sorry. Cause I wanted to exemplify Christ. I'm asking for forgiveness, right? It's not that, you know, uh, I spilled the milk. That's a mistake, but it's, I treated you in such a way that I don't believe that honored God. Will you forgive me? Mm. And so I think that, um, I, I mean, I need to have that heart constantly um, <laughs> because the flesh is always fighting to be selfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, even for pastors, you know, our hearts are are inclined to want to be selfish, but, you know, the spirit of God within to be selfish, uh, selfless and put others before ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that is, that is what we need to, have in our, in our hearts and then have that spill out in through our character and our actions. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I totally agree. I mean, let's, let's jump into it. Right. So, you know, we talked about how we, you know, respectively became deacons and pastors, sure. but like, what does the Bible say about how to choose our leaders? Right. And not every leader is someone who has to have a title. True. And, and they're just, there are a lot of men and women in the church who are, men in the church who exemplify some of these things and, 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 and do many great things in the church without having that specific title. Um, but we want to focus on this, the, the ones that God has specifically prescribed. Um, and I guess the thing is to the, how they were chosen. So, you know, I, and it's, it's kind of interesting. The pastor and deacon are chosen in different ways for different reasons, right? Yeah. And, and these are the two, only two offices in the church uh, if somebody's like a trustee, that's a state position, is not a church mm-hmm. office. There's only deacons and elders in the church. Let's say First Timothy three: Deacons must be reverent, not double tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. And then uh, it speaks about their wives, um, very interestingly, and the fact that they need to rule their household well. Uh, rule not in the sense of when an iron fist, but you know to manage, uh, mm-hmm. to shepherd their their household well, um, and then for those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing, and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And uh, one of the deacons that I think of is Stephen. Uh, he preached and and he was uh, he was martyred. Uh, many consider him to be the first Christian martyr, but uh, not all deacons preach and teach. Others might disagree with me on this, and, and that's okay. But they know they do know the word well. But as far as what they do, when we look in Acts chapter six, I think we see that sort of fleshed out what they do, and they were caring for kind of the daily needs, the day to day needs, waiting on tables helping with the widows and the orphans and so on and so forth. Um, Because if, like you said, Pastor Peter was doing everything, right? He's studying for sermons and then he's coming in early and he's sweeping the floors and he's putting the lights on uh, and he's throwing out the garbage and and he's doing everything and, and with no complaint. 
But if he's doing all of these things, what if some of those things that he's doing is taken away from his main responsibility, which is the study to show himself approved so that he can feed the flock. Um, and, and I think deacons really come in and help uh, in that respect. Um, I know I look at you, Glenn, and I see you driving people around all the time. Uh, I know when people are moving and things like that, you're there. Uh, you've taken days off of work to go serve other people. There are times when, you know, Pastor Peter and I can't do uh, those things. The deacons are, are doing these kinds of things. And you each of the three deacons we have, they each have kind of their own uh, giftings and, and, and what they're capable of doing and so on and so forth. But, uh, yeah, really serving the people. Um, what, what are some of your thoughts as far as in your experiences of being a deacon now that you've been one for several years? No, I mean, it, it can, it can range from, for so many things. It could be moving. It could be helping someone, uh, picking someone up, um, dealing with a lot of people who are elderly and widowed. And it's strange. You're reading the Bible and you're hearing about the widows. And I mean, I've, I've, I've literally had to go to someone who is old. There's no one there to help them. They just yeah. need someone to just bring them from point A to point E. They want to get like a table. They can't afford to have a mover. They don't trust the mover. They don't, you know, and you just, they just need someone to go with them. They just need someone to sit with them. They just need someone to talk with them. And it, it, it is something that's worthwhile, definitely. I've had situations where it wasn't worthwhile, but I still, it still was a joy to know that I was available to help. Yeah. Um, I know there's other deacons that work with me that, you know, don't have to name names at this point, but they clean the very toilets. They just go and they're just wiping the toilets down. They're wiping the, during COVID, wiping down all the different places that we, we meet up. I mean, thing. you have to be prepared to do anything at any time. I've had to go with Pastor Peter to meet new people. I've had to go talk to people separately just, you know, because Pastor Peter was not able to go or just because... You know, I, I wanted to go. You know, I felt like I, I, I needed to go. I've been to funerals where I, I barely know the people, but it just felt like, hey, they're hurting. I need to go because they're hurting. Yeah, yeah. I, I think in many ways <clears throat> the the deacons kind of lift the arms of the pastors and, and make sure that especially a lot of the people's physical needs are taken care of as the pastor is taking care of a lot of the spiritual needs, not the deacons never take care of their spiritual needs. They certainly do. Mm -hmm. You know, they might go help them move and then pray for them, you know, uh, uh, in their new place or what have you. Uh, you teach Bible studies, uh, another deacon. And we have Jose, he leads prayer meetings. Um, so, uh, but the prime thing is not deacons uh, having uh, the office um, for the purpose of preaching and teaching, mm. but to, but to be the hands-on people, really, um, and 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 that is crucial because you know there was an uproar in Acts chapter six about you know serving the widows and the orphans there, and 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 it's interesting because again when you're looking at um, the role of of deacons or the qualifications uh, thereof, um, you know those that have you know that that. Uh, have families, they have to be able to manage their own households well, because if they can't manage their own households well, uh, how are they going to manage the things, you know, in the church, mm. um, you know, if they can't even kind of keep their, you know, their children together, um, especially. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a crucial role. And I, I think some people look at deacons as like many elders in some churches, but I, I, I don't think biblically that that is 
really the role of a deacon, even though some of them uh, can certainly preach and teach as, as exemplified uh, by Stephen. And I believe uh, Philip, uh, he was an evangelist as well uh, in the scriptures. So we, um, we, we, so you're saying, Pastor Phil, that some people think I'm many? Because uh, <laughs> I've been trying to lose it. So if you're telling me that, I, I'm, I'm a, I've accomplished some of my goal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and it, what what about as far as pastoral leadership? Uh, very similar to yeah. deacons. Yeah. Um, the lists are almost identical, but uh, the two skills that a uh, pastor pastor must have, one of the two is the exact same thing as a deacon. He must be able to manage his home well, but the second skill is he must be able to teach, and so uh, teaching and managing. Um, and, and his home, uh, all the rest of the aspects are, are kind of character qualities, yeah, um, yeah, which are crucial. But if somebody has character qualities, um, but they can't teach, um, you know, they can't handle the word, then they really wouldn't be an elder. You know, they would be it, maybe a highly respected person, you know, a mature person in the church, but not necessarily an elder. Now, it's not interesting that, and I always thought, well, it has to be the ability to preach has to be the ability to preach it's the ability to teach to right. to to speak to different people and and express what god is trying to say to them in a way that touches their heart i mean in the essence that's preaching but you it's it's, it's definitely possible to be a gifted preacher and not be a pastor that's true mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely um, and I think we have some examples all throughout history. We had, you know, some people who were preaching, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if George Whitfield pastor, but he definitely was an evangelist. Great awakening. I mean, the guy could preach, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if he ever pastored. Maybe he has, I, I don't know his history well enough. Um, so I have to bone up on that, but yeah, the pastors, he, he's, he's not the, the head honcho, the big cheese, the CEO, None of that. He's not the one who's just been there the longest, per se. I mean, it might have been. Um, but uh, what's interesting is that uh, there are these these uh, titles mm. for pastor, uh, which uh, elder, um, bishop, bishop, overseer, yeah. overseer, and and pastor, mm-hmm. and um, and they they're basically uh, shepherd. Synonymous. I like that one. Mm-hmm. Under shepherd, right? Mm-hmm. But but they're all basically synonymous, and so the 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 elder is is someone who is uh, spiritually mature. So they're not a recent convert. Why do you think that Timothy points out and Titus points out that they must not be a recent convert? Great. So when I first came to Grace, and after a while, you know, every other church I went to, people were like, "Hey, Glenn, you're going to do this. You're going to." They were very quick to anoint me either as a pastor or as this or going to be a leader. And Pastor Peter was very slow. And there was a point I was like, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to preach. I, but, I, but I wanted him to say, Glenn, you know, you could preach. You could, you know, you could, you could be a pastor. Hey, you know, I see you serving. I rec-, you know, and he never did. And there was a part of me like, what's going on? You know, I, I wanted him to at least acknowledge some of the things I was doing to say, hey, blah, 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 blah. And it hit me one day that he just doesn't believe that a, a year or two years or three years is enough. Like you shouldn't be a new convert. You, you need to have a maturity. And I've seen from my own experience, people coming in red hot, 
three i mean on five i mean it i started questioning my own dedication to the faith based on the, their actions and now they're gone and so to me that's the i don't i can go into a, a soliloquy but that's the reason it, it, it's something that's born over time yeah yeah and so elder be one of those titles bishop and overseer uh, bishop is not like a higher office was that uh, um was that a title that was thrown around in your circles, Bishop? Oh, yeah. Oh, Bishop. Oh, it was. And that was always bigger. It always meant something else. And it, it, it right. It, I was shocked when I was, I finally looked and realized it was the same word. Same word. It's the same Greek word as the word overseer. So exactly. an overseer is a bishop. Yeah. So yeah. Pastor Peter and I could be called bishops. I don't want to be called a bishop only because of what it tends to be, what it tends to mean in our American context. Like you're, you're always going to be my bishop though. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, um, only when we play ch- uh, chess. So, um, but I think you would beat me. So <laughs> the, uh, you know, it, it, so many people just seem to throw that like you're, you know, you're, the, you're the big dog if you're the bishop. Yeah. Yeah. But um, oh, 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 my, oh, my famous, my favorite one, the one that doesn't even have a biblical title, which is apostle. Oh, the apostle. <laughs> yeah. We got people that think they're apostles and prophets. But and they, the, and they're 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 and they're apostle with like one ch- corner church with three members. I'm like, well, that's amazing, right? Yeah, continue, continue. Right. Yeah. So uh, the apostle and prophet today, yeah, they're just that in their own mind because we don't yeah. have them anymore. That's another Bible study. That's I mean, another, that's, that's that's another that's podcast. A, that's another podcast. We'll hit that at some point. But uh, and the last one, um, so the bishop and the overseer, uh, that would just be the superintendent. But their focus is giving oversight to god's flock and and always yeah. remember it's god's flock yeah um if you look throughout like the book of jeremiah god was angry and chastised uh the shepherds because they were not feeding the sheep yeah. his sheep mm. and then the last one will be pastor uh ephesians chapter 4 uh 11 and 12 you know a lot of people um they kind of try to cut up that uh he gave some to be apostles some to be prophets evangelists and some pastors and teachers <clears throat> but in the greek it's actually a teaching shepherd mm-hmm. so it's then it's not two separate things it's a shepherd that can teach and so mm-hmm. they would be involved in feeding and tending and caring and these ter- these terms are used interchangeably there's no pecking order as pastor peter uh has said and uh, i like his uh the way he phrased that um, but yeah, I mean, why do you think some people elevate bishops above pastors? Well, it, it, because once again, they're trying to bring the world into the church. And if there was such a thing as a specialized bishop above others, then he would just be even lower, right? <laughs> because the higher you go, the more closer you are to God, the more of a servant you are. Once again, the example that we have is Jesus Christ himself, right? And he gave his life. He was beaten and crucified and mocked on the cross. So if we want to be the highest shepherd, under shepherd, we got to reach that level, right? And and I don't think anyone really wants to do that. Um, and so it's the, so it's 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 really a, a confusion about what it means to be a leader, a servant leader in the church. Well, I mean, in First Peter, Peter says, uh, I. Um, who am a fellow elder and a witness mm. to the sufferings of Christ. Amen. He throws himself and says, listen, I'm a fellow elder. I'm a pastor too. 
You know, he wasn't the Pope. There is no Pope. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not not biblically at least. There's a make believe office called the Pope. Yeah. Um, but you know, Peter wasn't the Pope. I mean, he clearly says what he is. He said, "I am a fellow elder, a fellow oh. elder," which means that there are other elders, not mm-hmm. just him. So I don't. He he didn't call himself a Pope. Yeah. So I'm getting my bandwagon right now. <laughs> And, and, and just to jump on that bandwagon, it's very wide. Um, <laughs> and, and and Paul kept on saying, "Fellow laborers, fellow laborers, fellow laborers." Even when he was talking about Timothy, who he was, who was, who was at, a, at some point a pastor, he said, "Fellow laborers, fellow laborers." Right? There was this there's this realization that we're all the same. We're all on the same level. We're all under Christ. Yeah. Well, how about this one? And and. Uh, in Romans chapter one, Paul opens his letter and says, "Paul." He didn't say, "I'm I'm the right reverend apostle, doctor, bishop." You know. Uh, wait, wait. How, hey, did you, did you know that church I went to? How do you know this? All his titles. That's <laughs> exactly how it. he said it. There you go. <laughs> but look what he says. He says, "Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ," mm-hmm. and and the word bond servant is the word doulos, and it means slave. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, look, Paul, Peter, they're not trying to like lord it over the people and say, look at me, look at my title, you know, bow down. Matter of fact, when they bowed down before Peter, he said, stand up. I'm only a man. Silver and gold have I none, you know, just stand up. It's just, I'm a man. Mm. Um, And interestingly, all the titles are used in Acts chapter 20. In verse 17, Paul calls for the elders. And then in verse 28 of Acts chapter 20, he says, therefore, take heed to yourselves, right? Because he's talking to the elders. Um, and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you here it is overseers, which is the same as bishop, to shepherd, pastor, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Amen. So he purchased the church, and but he has chosen men to shepherd the church that he is in charge of and that he shed his blood for. So that's why it's such a weighty position, because Jesus shed his blood for the flock and 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 we as pastors are part of that flock we're mm. not like you know a, a head of the flock <laughs> mm. but you know he's using us uh as as an under shepherd to lead the flock uh under his care under his word under his spirit under his jurisdiction mm. Mm. yeah um definitely definitely agree with that and you know this that and i like pastor i i, I don't know Look, they're all biblical, so the names are all good. Gotcha. But but this idea of the pastor, this under shepherd, you know, and this idea that he has to have the heart of a shepherd, where you know, give you the picture of what what. Remember, David, the greatest king, David, the the the, the first true king that God anointed. Forgetting about Saul, um, he was a shepherd. He was someone who was able was tending the flock, and Jesus is constantly being referred to as tending to his flock. And I think a pastor has to have this heart, this pastoral heart, where he's he he's he's gathering the sheep on one hand and warding off the wolves and the and the thieves in the other. And I think that is one of the primary roles of a pastor is through his teaching, through his preaching, through his his ministry is supposed to be gathering the flock. Yes. Putting him under his, his, his wing and also driving away the wolves and the thieves. Going through Second Peter, that's what I was seeing. It, Paul was, was, was pleading with the Corinthians, um, Second Corinthians, was pleading to the Corinthians to, 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 to separate themselves because that was his concern, right? 
Yeah. Why do you think that, because here's another um, characteristic for leadership, um, shared leadership among mm. elders. Why do you think that he calls it to be shared? Why did, why did Paul said uh, appoint elders in every city, plural elders? And of course, there was only one church in the city. There was only one church in Corinth. There wasn't like a church in every corner like in New York City. Uh, why shared leadership? What do you think? No, I mean, I think it's the same reason why we have multiple deacons. It's, 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 you know, and I go back to my secular job is like, once you are the dictator in chief, you don't know if the decisions you're making are from the sinful flesh of your heart, or it's a real decision that's good for the, the flock. And now it doesn't say that there has to be, has to, has to, has to be more than one elder. It's just better because then you have a counterpart who's one, sharing the load. Two, able to see, because God has not made any of us perfect that I have known, and it's to have another person with that Holy Spirit that God is guiding to help you in the process of, of leading the flock. And I think in ways, from what my personal experience, you, you and Pastor Peter complement each other. And so there are things that you are really good at and some things that he's really good at. There are tasks that you excel at and some tasks that he excel at. While you both can do it, and you're both very good at doing it. But it's kind of like naturally gravitate to the things that you're better at. Yeah, I, I think, you know, past, listen, pastors are prone to, to make mistakes and, and sometimes prone to sin. And we might not see something uh, in ourselves and the other elder may point it out to us. Mm -hmm. Of course, someone else could point it out to us in the church. Um, but, uh, you know, critiquing each other's sermons, things like that. And so uh, Pastor Peter has greatly helped me to learn more and more what it really means to be uh, an elder of a local church of God's flock. Um, and I, if, if I had just come in and let's say I ran for, you know, uh, for the job and I was hired, I, I mean, I don't think I would have learned half the stuff that, that I learned um, being with a more seasoned elder than myself. Yeah, definitely agree with that. I mean, it, it, it definitely does help to have that other voice, that other person there with you. I think one thing that Pastor Peter, uh, one thing I've learned from watching both you, Pastor Peter, and you, Pastor Phil, is it's such a difficult job. There, you, you are faced with, you know, the intimate details of people's marriages, about the, the sins that they commit. And sometimes you, 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 you pray and you study and you're still not sure anything I do here could, could potentially be wrong. And just being able to go and, 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 and just pick the brain and, 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 and pray together, have two or three people gather together to say, hey, how should we proceed in this very delicate situation with this marriage, right? With this addiction, how, how do I proceed? Because you never want it to be that you yourself through the flippancy of your words, through your actions, through the through any part of your own personality, push someone away. And you can't stop someone from being saved, but you might put them on a dark path for years when it could have been something that would be easily handled with the help of someone else's perspective. Um, so that's one thing I think definitely is another thing we can bring up. But here's another thing I want to bring up. A little controversial, might cause a little problem. Some people might shut this podcast right off. Male leadership. It, it 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 it's the Bible is very specific about it being male. No, leadership. no Beth Moore. Come on, man. No more. No more Beth Moore. <laughs> no more. No, Beth. no, 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 no. Um. No. So you know what? I mean, 
are you sure that it you know it can't just be used interchangeably here in first timothy chapter three no 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 i i i think being a husband of one wife that kind of kind of limited a little bit you know <laughs> unless i look i know we, we can look at it in 2021 lens and think he's talking about uh, all kind of marriages but i, I think <laughs> It's it's the husband part is is very genderized and we can't really do anything with the husband part. Um, it definitely is. Look, one thing I want to say real quick is that when I was thing, I've seen women pastors. It just felt very weird to me. It just didn't make sense, and it wasn't because I had some kind of thing against women. They were there. I, I I had no skin in the game. It just didn't make sense to me. And as soon as I read the scriptures, I was like, that's why it doesn't make sense. That's so- not what God has intended. Can 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 we clearly say biblically this is not a chauvinistic thing? No, no, no. no this is no. this is a theocracy. Yeah. This is God rule. God gave us His word, and this is what God had chosen. Yeah. God chose to make Adam first, and then make Eve, and Adam named Eve woman, just in the and he named the animals the names that he chose for them, and all of it showed authority. And so God has an authority structure. He's given it to us. And it doesn't matter if I don't like it. Mm. I'm not, it's not for, for me to like or dislike per se. It's for me to submit to and then joyously delight that God has changed my heart so I can delightfully submit to the order that he's given in the home, in the church, in the government. Now, now, one argument I always make against people who are like, say it's chauvinistic or you don't hate women or women are, you got to understand that 99.999% of men cannot be pastors. They, they can't, they're not qualified to be, and, they don't even, and most of them don't even want to be it. So it's, yeah. it's not like I'm putting women down. I'm saying men can't do it either. It, it, is, it is not something when I think one of the, that's one of the things that we want to differentiate is like, I, I'm, I'm chosen to be a deacon, yep. but to be a pastor is something you have. It, it's conferred to you by God. It's something that has to be acknowledged by other pastors to say that you have the gifting to do it. It's not something where it's, it's not a meritocracy where we just throw some lots and Hey, Hey, you know, this week you can be the pastor next week. You can be the pastor. You know, he's a, he's the tallest guy here. We're going to no. it's something where if he doesn't, if he's not in that church, go and find him. You don't just, you don't just find, you just don't take a 10 people and say, Hey, you're the closest one we have to a pastor. Let's, let's, you do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, all the, all the times that use the word, he, 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 he rules his own household. He takes care of his children. If a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God and onward and onward? Uh, not to, not to uh, mention the one that you mentioned about, um, you know, uh, being the husband of one wife. I mean, that one you just can't duplicate. And be careful about these new translations that are coming out that are trying to remove all references to gender and just put the word humanity in there because that, I mean, that doesn't work, um, you know, over and over again. But um, yeah, the male leadership, First uh, Timothy 3, Titus 1, and elsewhere. How many disciples did Jesus have that were female? Uh, wasn't at least one. I mean, depending on which gospel you're reading. I mean, are we talking to what the ones in the actual Bible? Right. Oh no, no, none. Yeah, apostles. How many apostles were female? Uh, ah, this is look. Is is a tough one. Is is a trick question? Maybe same answer. None. <laughs> right. 
Exactly. And and listen, women have a high and holy calling, and we did cover that one of our podcasts um, on egalitarianism and complementarianism. Go back and listen to that one. There is a high and holy calling for women. It is just not in the office of an elder. And are you okay with God deciding how he wants to run his church? If you're not, then you're in the wrong business. Um <laughs> God gets to decide how God wants to run his church and who he's chosen to, to shepherd his people. Uh, and then the, uh, the other one will be qualified leadership. Uh, I know that um, they have to be able to lead the home, able to teach and have the character qualities. And listen, sometimes I look and I'm like, Oh, you know, do I have all these character qualities and, you know, in full steam at all times, you know, am I always patient and uh, so on and so forth. But I know that I had to be interviewed by the church, appointed by Pastor Peter, and then interviewed by the church, and they could ask me questions about character, doctrine, those kinds of things. Um, because if chosen um, and and approved and affirmed by the church, um, then they're saying that they would be willing to submit to the spiritual authority that God bestowed upon myself and Pastor Peter. And so uh, there would be um, an agreement and an acknowledgement that this, in fact, is true. Exactly. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely, definitely. And, and I think we talked about uh, the other part that would is necessary, which is ser- servant leadership, which is, yes, you know, at, at, the, at the very minimum is you're a servant as well, and you're leading other servants and yeah. your position is the same. It's just that God is asking you to care for the flock of God. It's not your flock. It's not your church. It's not right. your vision of what it should be. It's what God, it, it's the same. It's kind of like an expanded version of being the husband of the family. It's not your way or the highway. It's God's way. And then you're shepherding your family towards what God requires. Yeah, I think of like, you know, th- those who've been called to work in the vineyard, when the master comes back, in what shape is the vineyard in when the master comes back? When Christ returns, in what shape is his flock in? Because he's left you to care for his children. And of course, you yourself being one of them. And so again, it is a weighty task. I- I'm just, I'm being reminded of the weightiness uh, all throughout this podcast. So <laughs> I might have to go repent a little bit more afterwards, oh, but amen. I just yeah. feel like, you know, like, I mean, really just the reminder of the weightiness. Do I pray enough for the people? Do I call them enough? Do I serve them enough? Um, you know, and, and again, pastors are also trying to uh, shepherd their own families at the same time. So, you know, there's a juggling match that's here. Obviously, you can't neglect your own family to serve all the families in the church. And you can't not serve the families in the church and only serve your family. And if you're doing things God's way, the church won't suffer and your family won't suffer. Because as Carlton McLeod said in our uh, Gospel Center Family Conference, which is available on soulfishingministries.org, if it's really, it's not a balancing life and family or church or ministry and family. It's blending them mm. uh, together. And so I appreciated that. Amen. 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 And, and I think it's important, um, you know, because we could talk about this. Uh, tell me, it's something that definitely uh, touches our heart and touches, you know, personally to what we do and believe. But 
I think it's important just for the for for the for the, the people listening to talk about yeah. the jurisdictions, you know. So one of the jurisdictions is spiritual matters, right? Yes. Like, what is what, what, what am I talking about? What does that what does that mean? So you know, uh, kind of you know, let's say that you uh, that somebody in the church had kind of a saucy mouth. Uh, their their you know their lips ran a little loose with you know um, language that they used back in the day when they were in the streets or mm-hmm. the young on the Lord and you know we might need to bring correction to them, um, but you know spiritual things uh, they're supposed to be in prayer and they're outside playing ping pong or whatever. Let's say. Wait, wait, wait. Are you trying to tell me that I got a new apartment just moved in? Right. I hear a little echo right now as I'm talking. Right. And I have. Uh, purple paint all over the house that's not something that you're you're kind of responsible for nope if you want to paint your place purple you know then hey you know you'll be the barney uh (laughs) the barney apartment there you know you know what i'm not gonna do it after you said that Um, (laughs) yeah so but i guess at the heart of what you're trying to say is it's not about these months. It's like, and I think some pastors do get caught up in, they're telling you what kind of clothes to wear. And no, no, it's about the spiritual matters. Only where it touches on the spiritual matters. It just so happens that a lot of the things that we do are indicative of our spiritual life. But at the same time, that's our purview. That's the space that God has placed us in because that's the authority. And that is what we are experts at is what God's intentions are for us and how we live. Right. Yeah. And, and it, let's say even the clothing example, right? So I'm not going to tell you what tie to wear or even to wear a tie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but let's say like somebody came in, uh, a lady came in scantily clothed. That was a member of the church. Um, you know, that would need to be addressed and, mm. and, and it probably would first be addressed by another godly woman going to her, yeah. um, and just kind of taking care of that and saying, you know, <laughs> you're not in a nightclub and, uh, you know, you shouldn't be going to nightclub anyway. Um, you know, but you know, maybe that's a, you know, a, a somebody who's very young in the, in the Lord and, you know, maybe doesn't have the discernment for that. And, and so, uh, you know, the younger ladies are, are, are working with her. And so as a pastor, I might say to an, a more mature woman, hey, can you uh, please go and speak to so-and-so, you know, and, and help them in this area that, they're, that they seem to be weak in? Yeah. Uh, because so, maybe they don't know or what have you. Yeah. So basically, it's proper conduct, like the yes. spiritual matters specifically. Yes. Proper the conduct. Pro- the adjacent proper conduct as in how we behave in church, how, how you're supposed to carry yourself outside of church. You know, yep. once again, it goes back to even the characteristics of, of a deacon and a pastor in terms of th- that, that we, we have to be above reproach, right? Anyone can bring a charge, right? Yep. But I, I think the perfect example of what I've always liked, which was so clear to me, is, is Vodi, Vodi Bakum where he says, I'm not going to be alone with a woman. So, Ain't nobody can ever bring a charge to me of committing adultery or cheating on my wife or doing so. I'm never alone with a woman. How, when can I do it? I'm always right. either with my wife or with another male in a public place. I'm never alone with a woman. There's nothing, no charge you can bring to me. And it's kind of, that's the kind of conduct and mention. And I know our former vice president mentioned that and he got a lot of flack and they thought it was abusive to women because he wouldn't be alone with them and he was limiting their careers. But no, he's saying you can... There cannot be an accusation that will stand because I'm never alone to put myself in that position. And I think that's the purview of a pastor to say, hey, get yourself out of this. You know, he can give you those kind of advice. What do you what about financial things? You know, hey, should I go to you to find out what kind of uh, stocks I should buy? 
No, I send you to Benny. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So nope. Uh, you know, hey, if you want to invest in socks, you know, you use use wisdom. Uh, speak to people who know what they're doing, and um, you know, and if you lose it, you lose it. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and it's kind of, it's kind of tricky too because you might say, "Hey, you're investing in a company that is abortion on demand." You know, right? It, it, it's it's tricky, you know. I, I, but I think it's we we, we are only as invasive, and I say we, but I'm saying primarily the pastor. We're only as invasive as necessary, right? I'm not going to go seeking out your finances to find out to give you advice. It's going to be like, hey, if you come, if, if you bring it up and it comes to my attention, I'm going to say, hey, I don't know if I would invest in that company that's doing these kind of things that are detrimental to the faith and to what we believe in as believers. Um, and, and and I guess the simplest way to kind of deal with this is to say that the jurisdiction of the pastor or the deacon or the, the church is not going to be under the things that are free under the Bible, such as meat or drink, right? Such as eating certain foods. Some, mm. some things that God in the old Testament had made specific requirements for because they were in a theocracy. And right. now it, 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 it's not applicable because we're not a theocracy. We're not under the, the Jewish uh, laws and governance of what, of when they were a specific country. And so, I can eat pork, even though I don't like, I don't do that, or shellfish or, you know, cross-contaminated milk, and it doesn't have to be kosher. And, you know, there are some pastors and some people I hear who go around telling people what kind of foods they can and can't eat. And I just think there's a complete misunderstanding of what the Bible stands for. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and like when I was doing finances, we could teach people, you know, the three things you can do with finances, you know, spend it, give it, save it. Um, but you know, I'm not going to ask them, you know, what's in your savings account this week, Glenn, you know, show me the numbers. Uh, you don't want to know, <laughs> you know, but you know, if somebody says, Hey, you know, how much should I give? I just show them the, you know, the parameters in the scriptures, uh, give it a cheerful heart, you know, decide in your heart what you want to give and give it a cheerful heart. So, you know, if you're making $200,000 a year and you're giving five bucks, can you do that with a cheerful heart? You mm-hmm. know, is, I mean, God, God has given you much, you know, um, are you using much to support the church? Hmm. So, but um, yeah, I mean, you just give people principles. Uh, you, you're not my, you're not micromanaging. You're not nitpicking at their lives and, and things like that. But um, you know, uh, and then we have, of course, church discipline. Oh, um, you're talking about my favorite part, right? Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. <laughs> my least favorite part. Anyone who understands church discipline, it is not fun for the person disciplining and it's not fun for the person receiving it. Yeah, I mean, and and we've had to do it. And, yeah, and it's it's not. It, I mean, listen, you don't look forward to it because you know somebody's involved in sin, and and and, and it's affecting other people's lives. And you know, you, you don't want to be involved in sin and have your sin affect other people's lives. Um, but you know, we just simply go through the process in Matthew eighteen. Somebody goes to them, and if they repent, you know, that's it. It's it's over. If they don't repent, you bring somebody with you, and uh, then you go together. And you bring it to their intention. And then eventually the last stage is you bring it to the church. Um, and then the church may have to excommunicate them, but somebody must be a member of the church to be excommunicated. You can't execute excommunicate someone who's just in a church a church attender. And, uh, they, and, and this is where a deacon steps in. Me and three of my brothers kind of lift them up bodily and take them out, right? There you go. That's right. <laughs> Deacons take them out back and you know. 
my, take, my, my, take, take them out to the woodshed. My spiritual <laughs> gift is bouncing people. There yeah. you go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, church discipline. Uh, we don't look forward to it. We don't want to do it. But if you hmm. don't do it, then what you're saying is you'll just let sin run rampant in the church and you'll never correct it. Yeah. So yeah. then that, that hurts the flock at large because, you know, a disease is left rampant will just spread. Mm-hmm. So uh, definitely, definitely not good. We took a look today at church leadership, deacons, pastors, elders, bishops, which all mean the same thing. And also you got to hear a little bit of the testimony of Glenroy and myself, as well as how we both came to reform theology. So um, just a really uh, exciting time to be sharing these things with you. I would ask that you would pray as we're looking to roll out some publications that we've written. Um, just got off the phone today with a professional that is looking to help us with uh, editing and publishing our resources. So uh, we have some that we look to roll out on the docket, uh, a prayer journal on the book of Psalms, a study on the new birth, and uh, a two-book resource on the book of Jonah and the book of Nahum, which will be a two-book series. So uh, please keep us in prayers for these things. We've never uh, published anything professionally before, and so we're brand new at this. We sometimes feel like we're brand new still at doing this podcast. But um, we want to thank our listening audience. Thank God for you. Uh, we've definitely grown over the past several months and prayerfully will continue to, to rise. Not that we're so much looking for numbers, but if this is good stuff, please pass it along. We just want to serve. We just want to help people. I think the, the heart of a pastor and the heart of a deacon um, is the same. We're, we're here to serve and we're here to help the body of Christ. Thank you for taking this time to stop and think about it. If you would like to contact us, please email us at stopandthinkcrew at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at www.stopandthinkpodcast.com. This podcast is listener supported by generous people like you. You can give a tax-deductible donation at our affiliate ministry at www.soulfishingministries.org and click on our donate link to give securely through PayPal. Thank you for listening to Stop and Think About It.